Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening. Good evening. And welcome to another fortnightly Scotney takeover of the Wild Ginger Running. Uh, yes, it is 7.30. No, we didn't have, kind of change our clocks last month. We are at a later time uh, tonight. Uh, it's great to have you along. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're kind of aware that some of you might be keeping your eye on open tracking as I guess from two weeks ago, Mr. Damien Hall <laughs> is currently running across the coast to coast. Um, and he's still slightly ahead of Mike Hartley. I've kind of covered our faces there on YouTube, so we just put ourselves to one side. He's still in lead. He's getting closer to some B. So come on, Damien, keep it going. Um, we've it's been keeping like a football school. We need, like, goal flash of whether <laughs> <laughs> when it's getting somewhere. So we're, we're trying not to get a bit too distracted. Um, chatting to our guests tonight. We're keeping an eye on what's going on with the tracker. But if you are joining us live, thank you for joining us. And if you've got any questions for our guests, please do kind of send them along on live on YouTube. And who is our guest tonight, Jen? <laughs> do you not know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I always kind of... <laughs> I'm really excited to have Alex Stanleyforth on tonight, um, who always seems to be across the world doing some crazy adventure, although some, some in the UK as well. But hello, Alex. Good evening, Alex. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. How's it going? Um, for those listening you. on the podcast, Alex does appear to be at Everest Base Camp, according to his um, Skype background. <laughs> Where are you, Alex? Are you up a mountain? 
Uh, sadly not. No, like all of us, I'm still at home. Um, saying that, I was in Scotland last week, which is the first kind of work away in already over, uh, well, well, well over a year. Uh, but no, I'm based in the South Lakes in Kendall, which has not been a bad place to be. Uh, I've been up here for two years now. Um, so yeah, I'm still at home. Uh, but but Zoom and virtual tech can put me anywhere in the world. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And that Everest background is quite a kind of poignant background for Alex to be having, isn't it? Because of you've been out there a few times. Should we give Alex a proper introduction <laughs> rather than just what his background is? Well, like... record-breaking adventurer is That's... how we've described you. Yeah. Um, you've endurance athlete, so we'll talk a little bit about your running. But as Marcus said, you've also been out to Everest and are you full-time kind of your speaker and you've got two books coming uh, that have come out um yeah I think I think on your website it's like how does it describe you an advent adversity adventurer was it or something like that it's quite yeah, a niche um, job title trying to put it I guess trying to put it on the business cards interesting um, <laughs> adventurer endurance athlete I think I'm, I'm moving more towards kind of ultra endurance now um as opposed to mountaineering and adventures but my kind of day job is motivational speaking on resilience and well-being uh i'm an author of two books and the director of a mental health charity so that's kind of my day job now and then the adventures are what fuel that i suppose brilliant fantastic i think when i first started following you on social media and kind of interacting with you alex you were about to embark on a challenge going to um, all the county tops in was that England, Wales? Was it that Scotland as well? And Northern Ireland. And Northern yeah, Ireland. So how many miles was that? And what were you what were you doing? Yeah, so climb the UK was uh, nearly four years ago. Actually, yeah, I started it about four years ago, which feels like a incredibly long time ago. <laughs> um, that was yeah, that was that was a hundred count a uh, hundred of the county tops and about five thousand miles of mostly cycling, but also walking, running, and kayaking. So completely human powered. Um, apart from a ferry to the Shetland Isles, because that's a very long way to kayak, um, and then a ferry to Northern Ireland. But I kayaked to um, I kayaked to uh, the Isle of Wight. You know, I was trying to go as human powered as I could, uh, cycling all the way between them. And you've got a contrast of big Munros in Scotland to you know the highest point of Kent was in a lady's back garden. <laughs> you know, you've got the Peak District, you've got um, the lakes. Uh, just an amazing way to see. The diversity we have here in the UK and that's kind of what's inspired me to stay close to home you know since Nepal the Himalayas um to focus on kind of homegrown adventure really. So, so let, let's go back in a little bit further if we, if we can I mean it's a pretty awesome challenge on that one you kind of just said about the, the Himalayas so, so what led you because you went to the Himalayas quite young eight well I was gonna say young. young. <laughs> young. <laughs> you still look pretty young compared to us actually <laughs> But young 20s. Very young. <laughs> so is this after, you, had you been to university and then kind of like, right, I want to go and ex kind of explore the world a bit more and they kind of lure those big mountains? Um, I'll try and keep this as short as I can. That's but, all right. Uh, we've, got, we've got an hour. So, you know. Oh, well, I think it was a pretty <laughs> unconventional journey. You know, I've never really followed the kind of conventional path. And I guess it all started with childhood challenges. You know, I was brought up in Chester had a great start in life um, and school became a very nerve-wracking, very volatile time for me because of anxiety. I had epilepsy when I was younger, only very mild, but that was just really the trigger for lots of challenges. So having, you know, you know, I've had a bad stammer ever since I've been able to speak. 
despite now being a professional speaker. Um, badly bullied all the way through, you know, all the way through school. Uh, anxiety and panic attacks because of my epilepsy. No self confidence. Hated sport. You know, I was that kid that came last and in, in sports day and the uh, cross country. Uh, wasn't a runner at all. Um, and and so I never really had any, any any purpose, you know. And and I found the outdoors by chance on my first hill walk in the Lake District when I was about 14 years old, so about 11 years ago. Um, and that's where the love for the lakes and the mountains started. Just prior to that, I was on holiday in Turkey when I had this strange urge to try something called paragliding. I don't know where, where that urge really came from, you know, to throw myself off a 7,000 foot mountain. You know, this is a kid that spent a lot of time playing on my PC, not very fit, not very active, hated exercise, hated, you know, being out in the rain. Um, to suddenly having this kind of realization of, you know, I had a choice, I had a way to fight back and to prove myself and to prove all the bullies wrong. Um, and I think from then it's like any challenge. It's like running your first race. You want to go further and faster and harder. And I kept setting the bar higher and higher, uh, building this confidence, you know, and it wasn't like I solved all the problems, you know, anxiety and panic attacks. I have them even today. Um, and the stammer is still something I deal with every single day, uh, but the outdoors gave me my, my my belonging, my purpose, really. So that led to having this Everest goal, which kind of started on that first hill walk in the lakes of coming home thinking, where's Everest? Wow, I want to research this. And being, being a, you know, being a millennial, I went on Google, became captivated by this idea of, of standing on the world's highest point. Um, and then kind of started consciously putting the steps to make that goal happen. So that involved climbing in the Alps, Scotland, the Himalayas. Um, raising about £35,000 just to get there through corporate sponsorship. And it was kind of the gap year that, that never ended because I, while kind of half-heartedly do my A-levels, um, I I was kind of raising the money, you know, through sponsorship. Um, I'd started running about two years before that. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, and 2018, uh, 2014, at 18, I flew out to Nepal on my first expedition. Uh, led by a, a led by a mountain guide from the lakes called uh, Tim Mosdale, who'd been my my first kind of climbing instructor and had climbed Everest six times. So that had kind of inspired me. He'd mentored me along that, you know, that journey. And Everest had kind of become my full time job for about two years, whilst washing pots in the local pub on the weekends. Um, and I guess yeah, it, that's what led me to Nepal in 2014 um, for my first attempt. Now. Just to come back to that, um, about 2012, I carried the Olympic torch, um, which was a massive honour uh, for all my fundraising challenges that I'd done in the build-up to Everest. And I discovered running on holiday in France when my stepmom put a bet that uh, I couldn't go for a run with my dad, who was a key marathon runner. You know, I was desperately unfit, but I wanted that two euros. So I huffed and puffed and followed him and, and nearly died. But uh I, you know, I got that panic shock a lot with my earnings. And, and from then on, I started running and, and running became my biggest focus. Um, whilst my friends were being kind of kicked out of pubs for being underage, I was being kicked out of half marathons for being underage. Um, <laughs> then I got injured. And that's when I had another Everest to climb because, um, you know, I lost my purpose and all runners know what it's like being injured. But that's when anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder started. Um, and in that time, I needed a new, I needed something to get me through that hopeless, helpless 
pit of feeling sorry for myself. And that's when I set the date for Everest. You know, at that time, it was kind of a a goal in the future. Mm. But I said, actually, I want to climb Everest in 2014. So despite not training properly, not knowing whether I'd get through this injury, I kind of committed myself to fundraising for a year and a half. And uh, and the rest is history, really. So I'm very grateful for that injury because it took me to Everest. Brilliant. And was the plan to climb to the top of Everest or get so far yeah. up? Or... Yeah, yeah. It was always, it was a summit expedition. You know, it was a full supported thing. It was a two-month trip. Um, and then a day before we got to base camp, uh, a huge avalanche killed 16 people. So obviously things went wrong. Uh, I was young and naive enough to think that the harder I worked, the luckier I'd get. Obviously it doesn't work that way. Uh, same with COVID. And I was kind of, my plan was to start a degree uh, at, uh, at Cumbria when I got back, you know, having summited Everest, having achieved my goal at 18. Um, <laughs> But I dropped my all my offers on my mobile phone whilst trekking out of base camp. It was this weird divine moment. I was stood outside a monastery and got free G signal. Um, and I just went through my email inbox and just dropped all five of my offers. Because I just decided I had unfinished business. And uh, yeah, I've, not, I've never looked back at, at terms of education or following that, that route. Um, and Everest has kind of become my career with speaking and writing because the year after we went back to Everest, and uh, that was when the earthquake hit Nepal while we were about 6,000 metres up the mountain. Um, so obviously that trip went even more badly wrong and, you know, 22 people died at base camp, uh, including some of our team. And uh, yeah. yeah, we were caught up in the, the biggest disaster in Everest history, really. So yeah. that's as high as I've been on Everest. And, and yeah, that must have been quite a, an, an experience. And what were you meant to be going to study? What were you going to study at Cumbria? Is there anything? Well, I think just to show how unformed my plan was, I had five offers and five subjects. Um, <laughs> well, actually, two of them were based on the outdoors, you know, outdoor guiding. Yeah. Um, one was photography and then two were around animals and conservation science. I had lots of interests, but like a lot of young people, you go to university because you think you should rather than having a long term plan. Um, I remember my sixth form tutors sort of saying, you know, climbing Everest was going to neglect my future and opportunities and the irony is now as I'm making a living going paid to speak to schools about this. Um, but at the time, you know, I just had to be single minded. And I think with the bullying and, and growing up, I'd, I'd been very good at just focusing on something and never say never, which is good for ultra running as well. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the plan. But I knew in my, in my heart that I had to go back to Everest and, and to, to pursue all these opportunities that had come out of the blue, really. Um, but I didn't I didn't run until. Well, I didn't run again until about 2015 because the risk of an injury when I'd raised all this money um, just was too much, you know. So I I didn't get back to running again until probably the end of 2015 after Everest. Oh, so were you kind of really heavily training for Everest as well? Were you like going off to the Alps, doing a bit of kind of acclimation training as well to get used to the altitude out there? Yeah, I mean... I've often said that Everest is probably 90% mental, only 10, 10% physical. And I found that out the hard way on the first trip when I was, you know, obviously by far the, you know, you know age-wise, I was the, you know, I was the youngest by probably 20 years. Um, and I was by far the weakest, you know, my body could not cope with the altitude. I'd been to about six and a half thousand meters on another peak beforehand uh, in Nepal. And I'd done, you know, I'd done stuff in Scotland and in the Alps, which is all about training yourself to take care of yourself you know, 
something like, you know, if you lose a glove on Everest, that could be a life or death situation. So spending time in harsh conditions, being out long hours, long days in the hills, it's what it's all about, as opposed to being good in the gym. Um, but I was doing a lot on the bike, lots of long rides, long days in the hills, a lot of strength training. Um, and yeah, I mean, it really is about that prior experience more than anything. And I did, you know, quite a lot in a very short time, probably should have done more in hindsight, but uh, I felt that I had the right support around me. You know, I was jumping through the hoops, you know, not uh, making myself a liability. Um, and I, I had to do a certain amount to be actually, you know, to join a team. Um, they wouldn't just, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't just have anybody that was fit enough or would sign a check. Um, and yeah, and what I found with a lot of, a lot of uh, frustration at base camp is that all this hard work seemed to be for nothing. Um, but unfortunately, altitude is just the way it is. You know, it's about being flexible in your mindset more than anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, and this is where a bit of my age maybe comes in, losing gloves on mountains. Because when I was a kid, my mum used to tie my gloves together a bit of wool. So I had like gloves with a oh, jacket. There's a tip you know, for Everest. It, in the seventies, <laughs> we could take our gloves off and they would just dangle down. It was like, and we just used to get moments. But that maybe my mum was like thinking about going off to Everest. But you, yeah, you're right. There's so much meticulous preparation, isn't there? And there's so much you can prepare for going up those mountains. But it just always depends on how the body reacts at that kind of altitude. And it's quite a harsh, unforgiving environment, isn't it? And it, it must have been really harrowing though to be up on the mountain so far up when that avalanche hit and. You know, the, the impact it had, not just on Everest, but the whole region. It was huge, wasn't it? I mean, 9,000 people in Nepal died, sadly. You know, we were only a very, very small part in a, a big situation. Um, we were very fortunate to go home safe. I mean, had we not left base camp that morning, I probably wouldn't be speaking to you now. Um, yes. Base camp was wiped out and we were we were at uh, Camp 1, which is about 6,000 metres. Well, I was just below camp one, you know, that had been one of the really bad days when I just felt like I'd never done a mountain in my life, despite having done an extra year of training and endurance challenges after 2014 to try and work on this endurance mindset. Um, but all that, I just didn't feel it that day. Um, and yeah, we were just, just below, just below camp one when suddenly there's this massive crack of an avalanche coming towards us. Um, and you know, you're, you're in this valley with 7,000 meter peaks either side of you, trying to walk at altitude hard enough, never mind trying to run. And and then, yeah, before I know it, you know, I'm hit by this big blast of white and thinking, this is it. Generally at 19, thinking, game over. Um, and that's hard to describe. You know, it's hard to understand. But um, I think having that perspective at such a young age has been really good for me as well. But then to be stuck in a tent for two days with... You know, aftershocks every half an hour with you know food for a day or two at most being told you could be there for a week and then hearing that base camp is just gone you know trying to work out what on earth is happening is uh yeah something that will definitely live with me for my lifetime um coming down to see what you can describe as a plane crash and and the, everything just just gone uh yeah of course it has an effect on you and how was it coming back home after that i'm it sounded like you had a gap before you started running. So how is mm. mental health then and what sort of um, things were helping you during that time? I mean, to be honest, when we got down to base camp, you know, you're kind of in survival mode. You know, you're coming down to just, well, you know, because the route down to base camp had gone, we had to get down by helicopter. Um, that was our only way out. 
and uh, we then walked to our base camp after trying to salvage anything we could. But then when I got home, it was actually in the airport flying home, you know, that suddenly it just hit me and I just broke down in tears. I remember in Dubai airport just breaking down um, because that's when all the kind of adrenaline wore off and you realise that I saw on the news about a British hiker that had died in Nepal and it just it just overwhelmed me, you know, this kind of guilt seeing this beautiful country just devastated. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think when I got home, there was this kind of not wanting to be anywhere. I didn't want to be home. I didn't really want to be in Nepal. I just felt lost. And your family are really happy to see you, but you just feel like I shouldn't be here, you know. Um, and I guess in the initial response was just to keep busy. I threw myself into more challenges, into fundraising, to writing my first book, speaking about it. Um, I decided if I couldn't climb Everest, I was going to cycle it. So for the cyclists amongst us, uh, you know, you know, it's actually known as uh, Everesting, where you cycle the height of Everest in 24 hours, 29,000 feet of climbing up and down a hill. Uh, so I did that on um, Great Dunfell in the Pennines, just off the Pennine Way, um, with the big uh, golf ball on top. Yeah, um, I was driving there at the so weekend. That, <laughs> yeah, so that was, um, yeah, that was a really good focus because it was raising money for the people in Nepal. It gave me something positive to help me kind of process all this kind of post-traumatic stress. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was one Everest I actually summited. But um, I'd, I moved to the lakes working away in a hotel part-time just, just for two months, just to be in the lakes was my happy place just to kind of heal, mm. kind of heal things up a bit. Um, my first book wasn't coming on fast because I was spending too much time on the bike. So I had to move back home again. Um, <laughs> And I think when all that wore off at the end of the year, then it really hit badly because I kind of sank into this kind of anxiety, depression. You know, my eating disorder came back worse than ever as a way of kind of coping. Um, and I think it all came to a head when I'd, I'd been booked to speak at one of the big outdoor shows and I just completely lost my confidence. So I pulled out of, of that, which I'd never done before. Um, it almost felt like I had this big break, but I just couldn't handle it. And um, in January, I entered a half marathon. And of course, I knew I'd done half marathons before. And having that focus through the winter had really helped me to just get out. And even when it takes all day to get out and run 5K. Um, and when the race day came about, I got to about mile eight and I just blew up. And I just mentally, I just binned it. And I think because I fall off my target, I just couldn't handle the pain. And I just stopped my watch and walked home. And I think I knew that I could, you know, I'd done, I'd done four marathons just, just for the hell of it before. Um, and it was that realization of actually, you know, I, I need some help. Um, you know, I knew I could, I knew I could do this. I was supposed to be this, this athlete, this adventurer, this mentally tough person. Um, but that was when I realized that things are really bad, you know, and I needed to get some help with that and began that process. Um, but before I could get the help, um, having a new expedition, having a new challenge is really what probably got me back on my feet a lot quicker. And so did, did you get, what, professional counselling kind of? Yeah, I got on a, you know, I went to me, I remember going to my, uh, you know, I saw my doctor and breaking down in tears, you know, after having all this kind of on my shoulders for so long. Um, that was quite eye-opening. But then there's a long waiting list and eventually got to see somebody and it didn't really, wasn't right for me, you know, and, the irony is uh, it took me longer to get that appointment from that initial consultation to actually getting regular help 
than it did to cycle 5,000 miles around the UK. <laughs> <clears throat> when it came round, I was already planning another expedition to climb the sixth highest peak in the world, uh, Chowayu in Tibet. And that had kind of got me back to where I was um, before I could really benefit from the help. So it's peaks and troughs, you know, these things are always bubbling away and then they just sometimes things tip out of balance. And I managed to get the balance back um, by finding a, a new purpose without Everest, you know, finding that there was more to life than this big mountain in Nepal. Um, but yeah, it was, it was professional help, you know, and I've had various types of that. Um, but it always comes back to the outdoors. You know, for me, that's the best antidepressant that I've tried. And what's your charity? How is that? Is that something that's linked in from your experience? Um, it's, what's it called? It's mind over mountains, I want to say, right. but yeah. I'm glad you said it because with my stammer, I often really struggle saying it, which is really awkward. <laughs> uh, well, I just suddenly doubted myself that I got the name right then. So no, that's, that's, <laughs> between yeah, us. That's spot on, that's spot on. So, so how did that come about? Was that something that came out of your own experience? Pretty much, yeah. It came a lot later. Um, okay. So I'd always done challenges for charities, especially mental health in Nepal after what, you know, after what happened. Um, Climb the UK was for Young Minds, which is the leading mental health charity for young people. Raised about twenty five thousand for that. And is but, that the one that we talked about with the the county tops? Yeah, the counties. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like this back garden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, all the jokes around that as well. Um, and yeah, that was. But the thing is, that journey was all about taking people on it. You know, it was the first time where people could come and join me rather than just watching me on this mountain halfway across the world. Um, and I've been inspired by uh, Elise Downing, who ran around the coast of the yeah, UK. Yeah, we're in here in a few weeks. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, for a few weeks. So we have got some guests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, her story, it, you know, that was amazing. And it really made, made me think of what can I do close to home? Um, and so I think it really started in 2016, a year after Everest. I went back to try and climb, you know, the sixth highest peak in the world. Now, this time there was no disasters. I got to about 7,200 metres, so 23,000 feet. I got on the summit push um, and then I just got badly ill the altitude. Again, you know, I was 21 now, but still I just, I was fitter than I'd ever been. You know, we had people on the trip who didn't, who barely trained beyond cycling to work, doing some weights in the gym um, and, you know, building kitchens. <laughs> and they cruised the entire trip without a single headache. And there's me with like, at one point, my blood oxygen went down to 54%. So my base camp manager said, right, you're going down, man. Um, yeah. And I just struggled the entire time. Um, and on that trip, once again, you know, I was one of only, well, only two out of the 14 didn't summit. And uh, I remember having this kind of moment in my tent, you know, I'd, I was lying there one minute feeling fine. And one minute I was, you know, I was eating hobnobs and next minute throwing up all over the tent. And it was this kind of realization of, you know, why am I really here? You know, am I really making my biggest difference? And that's when I thought of Elise and started thinking of other challenges and this kind of closure with Everest, you know, seeing the mountain in the distance and thinking, yeah, I have nothing left to prove. So Climb the UK came about the following year. Um, and with the charity, after that challenge, uh, there was an impact event uh, by a company called Adventure Uncovered, who wanted to do something around mental health and nature. So wanted to make it more than just about hill walking because we know it helps to be outside and fresh air and all that but it's not a cure you know it's not a miracle thing but it's combining that experience with coaching plus mindfulness inspirational speakers who've been there and done it 
in counselling. Um, and my very first mentor, Chris, who I met years and years ago, was a trained coach and counsellor. So I wrote him in as well. And we took a group away to the lakes for a weekend. No, you know, no phone signal, no Wi-Fi, adding in some coaching, counselling, inspirational speakers, two days of guided walking. And we were just blown away by the impact it had. And I think that's kind of the experience I wanted to give to people from similar to the way it's helped me. And so we've grown from there, really. Uh, we set up as a CIC and we became a charity in August last year. And we do that same model, but creating that kind of walk and talk space, but doing it now in one day walks. And and also hopefully uh, this summer back to kind of a, you know, a two day, you know, a two day event for like a full a weekend retreat. Um, and we're trying to go, you know, to various areas now all over all over the UK. We're in the new for uh, in the new forest and um, Rosebury Topping next month. We were in the Brecon Beacons last week. We're growing really quickly and uh, just been blown away by by the impact it's had. Really, right. And if so, if people are kind of tuning now live or listening back to us on the podcast, if we put the link down below or how can they find out about those weekends is it on the mind over mountains website they can find those yeah if you had, yeah sure if you head over to our site uh mindovermountains.org.uk you said it perfect our, there i know it, it's you know it's quite choosy but um if you head over to, to our site then we have our you know all of our events that are live currently are on there also you know all the events actually have bursaries so anybody in financial hardship anybody who's you know in difficult circumstances and also all the frontline workers who hold it you know the blue light card holders you know there's actually bursaries you know, for them so that anybody can access the support that they need um because we know after the COVID, you know after the last year there's a lot of people struggling and so all of our programs are accessible as well for anybody over 18 so they can head over there and there's more information coming soon with events kind of happening all the time really so if you or anybody that you know you know they know needs some support then please do send them our way brilliant yeah sounds fantastic congratulations on that yeah what a, what a great great way of kind of yeah repaying back and sharing the experience that, that you had which is quite negative and then turning it but also yeah we all know how important just being outdoors is for our mental health as, as coaches and, and as runners you know it's kind of imperative in, in think, the sport we do i think we and, saw that through covid as well didn't we just how how vital it would be for people yeah I'm, I mean, I read that in the pandemic, one in 10 people started running as a mm. way of coping, mm. um, which is really good. And I hope that we can keep that as a sustainable habit, not just a, a temporary thing, because we all know how much it helps and we all want people to love running as much as we do. Yeah. Um, but I think if we can get more people doing that more often, then we could really intervene with a lot of the problems we're seeing and we're going to see after the pandemic. And uh, I've often said, you know, we need purpose and not just pills. So, yeah, completely agree. Definitely. And we apologise for if there's any sighing or snoring. Sherlock is in between us. <laughs> Don't has, started snoring. He has moved in position, so he's... I just... <laughs> I wanted to just, before we move off Everest and talk about some of your more recent running challenge, it just seemed to me like um, if somebody summits Everest, where do they go from from there? Like, I don't know because I've never been on Everest, but it kind of just feels like what what can match that high afterwards um but for you you didn't get there but it seems to have like your motivation has changed now you're not you haven't set your life on summiting everest um would you say that that motivation's changed and when did it start moving away from from everest 
really good point. There is that whole thing of what's next. And people ask me that now on my talks is, you know, what's next? And and it's like Brian Blessed. He has to always say the same line from the film, you know, Gordon's alive. Um, and again, <laughs> you can say the very better Brian Blessed voice. <laughs> We need I, Matt on to, to talk about when he talks about blessed up Everest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there is the old joke about how um, I think Alan Hinks could hear him from base camp. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, what, the whole thing of what's next. And I never ever saw a life without Everest, and the thought of not having it was just daunting. It was like oh, I couldn't. Can't. It turns out, like most things, it turns out to be perfectly fine, and I'm perfectly comfortable with with, with that now. And it's just. It's a painful, long process when you can't see the top, but sometimes it just kind of happens. And it's like COVID, you know, we all suddenly lost things, lost access to things that we normally did. And naturally, gradually, you just kind of get used to that new normal. Um, but I think it was that that moment in 2016, coming out of coming out of uh, Tibet after that expedition, you know, once again, that kind of failed trip. Um, and just looking out towards Everest across the plateau in Tibet, which is quite quite a sight, you know, barren plateau and then this massive Dokoff mountain at the end of it. Um and just this sense that there was nothing there. There was no desire, there was no appeal. And it was kind of like almost like I had nothing left to prove anymore. Um and I just felt it. And when I had the Everest goal, I always had this kind of goosebump feeling and I've crikey quite up my arms now. This like sensation of like passion. Um but there was nothing there. And that's when I knew that, you know, I was done here. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't go back. Um, I think a lot needs to change. I mean, the ethics of Everest have really gone downhill even more so in the last few years. And especially this year with, you know, the oxygen bottles being used for climbers when there's a shortage in India and Nepal hospitals, you know, um, there's lots to be said there. But I think it's just not yet. Um, and I think because I, I, I accept now that I have time. And back then, when you're young, you don't feel you have that perception of time. But I think the universe has kind of really been really kind and given me lots of other opportunities, like my books, the speaking, the fundraising, the writing. That's all come out of this. And that's where I realized Everest was just a step on that journey. So I think it's about being patient with the process and just knowing that it will kind of work out as long as you keep moving forwards um, and you, you're you willing to kind of be patient with the unknown. Um so I think it kind of happened gradually with things opening up. You know, it wasn't like I was just suddenly I had nothing. Like I just kind of I left everything behind and got around the world because things had started to build in the background that made it very easy to step away um, to now talk about Everest every day when I've got no connection to it anymore. Mm. So I think it's more of a gradual process and that's what helped. But also it's it's given me so much to be grateful for. Um that I'm actually quite glad I didn't summit because I don't think it would have brought me to where I am today. Yeah. Um, but Pick you know, that there, there is that... to uni. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm also glad I didn't go down that route. But the thing is, I'd never have known where that would have taken me. We never know what no. could have happened. No. Um, and climbing the UK was kind of the first challenge where I'd actually pulled off something I'd set my I set my sights on. Um, and in some ways, it was harder than Everest because you don't spend a lot of time in your tent eating biscuits. You're out there every day going and going you set your own schedule you have to plan all the logistics yourself you haven't got Sherpas you've got that unknown um and that was so much more kind of empowering because I felt like it was my own plan if you know what I mean um and I think it's like you know it's like a marathon runner they go and run 50 miles and 100 miles and they always want to go further and further um 
I think it can be a bit of a dangerous process because mm-hmm. if we're not satisfied with where we are, if we always want in what's next, we can forget about the journey. And it's like people wanting a nice car, a nice house. They want to get more and more and more. If we don't enjoy the journey, then we're never quite going to get there. If that makes sense? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And we've got kind of people joining us live. live <laughs> we on, have got people joining us. Joining us. Yeah. Sorry, we're just chatting <laughs> away. Um, Antonio kind of, kind of earlier on said hi, Jen Marks and Alex. And, hi, uh, and uh, <laughs> then you're such an inspiring athlete. So you're already inspiring, uh, Antonio. And then... Um, Paul Johnson um, is saying, hopefully this won't make your head go too big here, um, but, but I, he's spot on as well, having chatting to you now. You're kind of wise beyond his years. Inspiring bloke. Thumbs up. There. So instead of any questions, thank we're you. just getting compliments for you. Thank you very much, guys. That's, that's kind of you. So Taylor, just, we, you said about the challenge, the, the county tops one was um, like your hardest. I mean, that physically how did you find that was that like the toughest thing that you'd had to come was it harder than your injury getting through Mm. that every challenge is different and with Everest being altitude is something you can't describe unless you've been there and obviously I didn't summit Everest so I can't talk about what it's like being at 8,000 meters being at 7,000 meters is near enough and that's pretty awful Um, but it's kind of fairly short-lived on climbing the UK you know 72 days obviously I had some you know, I had some easy days and days off, but that kind of never getting the opportunity to stop and rest and constant pushing, getting up early, finishing late in the rain, seeing the forecast and just having no choice but to get up anyway and push on um, and having all the kit on the bike. I completely bit off more than I could chew. And my planning, my preparation was, was terrible. I mean, day five, I tore a muscle in my quad. Um, Ouch. So it wasn't the best start. Um and that's when I learned just what the body's capable of, because that, in common sense, you would stop. You'd, you'd call it off and take some time. I hadn't trained on, you know, I hadn't trained on a big, heavy touring bike carrying big panniers up a big pass. Um, I didn't have the strength. You know, I got back into running. I'd, I'd got to my kind of peak, you know, my kind of peak performance at the time. And uh, that didn't set me up very well for the long, heavy bike rides. And so I kind of cycled through the pain for a few weeks and then it just kind of disappeared. Doesn't make sense, but the body does these things. Um, and then I came down with a chest infection and I felt pretty, pretty rough for a few, quite another week or so. Um, but the thing is, as well, is with challenges, people say, why rush? Why not take the time to enjoy the places? And I kind of wanted the balance of enjoying it and seeing the places and meeting people and connecting, but also having the physical like time pressure of having a target um that's been a difference to me is i always want to do things fast um you know i I like to run because i like speed i like that competition element um and so that's where the pressure came in because you're always always chasing the clock and when i finished there was nothing more i wanted to do than just stop somebody you know the next day asked me if i wanted to go out for a drink no i just wanted to stop um because i'd had pressure 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 And then having to adapt, you know, on the spot when you've got a knee injury or a chest infection. Um, When when you fall behind one day, everything falls apart. And then you're constantly looking at the maps. You're trying to change things. And um, I remember the final couple of days coming into Snowdonia, um, you know, falling behind with hypothermia, being in the middle of the Burwin Mountains, you know, just absolutely frozen solid because I'd not eaten enough. I lost a hell of a lot of weight, um, which led to more issues in the future that I talk about. Um, 
and then pulling out like an 18 hour day on the final day just to get back on schedule and uh, actually managing to finish bang on my original plan finish date um, by just pulling out those like big epic final days, cycling 150 miles, climbing three mountains, um, getting to that point of you know hallucinating that we all love. <laughs> uh, so I think that was the most physically challenging at the time, but the three peaks was probably the most extreme I think I've, I've attempted. So how long after was the three peaks? And for anybody that, oh. I, 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 I want to I know doing... a bit more about the UK <laughs> top. Like, oh, but well, I, I just I, thought time was moving on and we haven't I, even got to talk I know, about I, the I know peaks. we haven't got that. Um, <laughs> somebody called I Can, I Will Grow on kind of who's watching us live on youtube now has said green and black chocolate helped climb the uk and then of kind i think alex can work out who posted that comment <laughs> um, i think that could be becca if it is becca hi becca uh, um, i got an amazing bar of uh, green and blacks when i finished engraved with um, my name and a congratulations on and becca saved my uh, skin when i was in i'm going to get the county wrong but i was down down south somewhere um, <laughs> <laughs> We were climbing, we were climbing, the. I think it was near, I hope she can put this in the comments. Um, <laughs> it, I, think, I think it was Pilot Hill and uh, I'd been very late get, getting there and uh, Becca joined me on, on a couple of summits down there and uh, brought me lots of snacks and she's a sports massage as well. So she's fixed me up with my ankle last year as well. Um, yeah, as I was just trying to think, that challenge, the Three Peaks was last August. So yeah. my most kind of recent big challenge and uh, so kind of three years on really. In between the free, in between climb, climb the, you know, climb the, uh, climb the UK, 2018 was spent writing my book. That was my second book. Um, and then running marathons. I kind of decided to have a couple of years just focusing on building my work and career and getting the book down. So I couldn't go off for months and months. So I just ran every day. And can we um, mention the name of the books in case people are following and want to? Yeah. We have got some photos that we can put up. So yeah. which was, so it was the first book, Icefall. Yeah, Icefall and uh, Another Peak is my second one, which is all about the climb of the UK challenge and, and that journey. Um, and 2018 was kind of a marathon year. You know, I hit my PBs across all distances. Then there was a major challenge with I got injured again. Uh, I hit another three or four months of, you know, pretty bad depression and eating disorder. Um, got very underweight again. And then 2019 was kind of my recovery from that. So I didn't have any challenges. I needed to put my health first and... I moved to the lakes as part of that process, which helped to be able to bring in the hills. Um, and then 2020, I was thinking, right, now's the time for a challenge. Now I'm I'm physically and mentally ready for something now. Now's the right time. And uh, the three peaks, as people know, climbing Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike and Snowden, um, but came up with the idea of running between them. I was going to say, um, people normally drive between those. <laughs> I recommend driving. Well, yeah, yeah, but John Kelly's not Yeah, <laughs> well, the Three Peaks was kind of became my focus for like last year, really, and obviously COVID then came along and changed the plan, but actually worked out quite well in some ways as well, giving more time to train and to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, I did the challenge uh, in August last year. Yeah, Be- Becca's come back saying it was Hampshire. <laughs> that was the one, yeah, I knew that one. It, so, it, it's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. And I mean, we kind of yeah. So the books are available. You can get them on the website and on that kind of big international place where you can buy lots of stuff beginning somewhere in the South America area called Amazon, I think. Um, and, and actually looking at um, the book on Amazon, it's got some great reviews for an, another peak and seems like a really inspiring book. And 
it seemed like it caught a lot of people's imaginations during COVID as well. A lot of people were kind of diving into it and were really encouraging how it was helping. So going, you know, we're talking about the retreats you're doing and the walking, you know, so if people have been struggling with their mental health during lockdown, maybe, you know, it's a great book for people to go and pick up and get a copy of and read and then come along on the on the weekends but again we'll post about the books um at at the end there so yeah so so how did so yes the national three peaks snowdonia scarfell ben nevis say jen said normally driven between them people jump in the car try and do it in 24 hours where did the idea then kind of come like actually i might might do this a little bit differently i think i've always looked to do things differently i've not wanted to do the honeypots and i know everest kind of falls into that that bracket but um i quite like doing things that haven't been done before or finding my twist on them i don't necessarily enter lots of races because i kind of feel that you know they're too predictable um i like to kind of create my own competition if that makes sense um and i did this i did the the free peak cycle challenge after everest 2014 as part of my training for everest 2015 so the same challenge but cycling between them and that was that was pretty tough in probably because i did it in october when it was dark and wet but um that was that was great but uh i think I, I don't know where i came across the idea first now um but i'd kind of plan was planning it towards the end of 2019 but the big step is actually to commit it's actually to to set the date because otherwise things don't happen and uh, i announced it in early 2020 uh with the plan to start in may or june um and it's i think the whole process for me is when i've got an idea is i'll i'll sort of pass it around a few of my close friends and mentors and and I kind of tend to judge it by my mum's response, um, <laughs> and uh, and then I, I kind of I just get this feeling, you know. I, I almost have a bit of a criteria. And... <laughs> so, 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 that was not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> I mean, I if would I never care. dream of passing something by my mum. <laughs> Sorry if my mum does ever listen to any of these podcasts or interviews on, on YouTube, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So does she have like, is it kind of like a, a positive affirmation? She's like, yes, Alex, that's a great idea. Or does she just have like a, what the a, hell are you a, doing? a, a motherly look? <laughs> or doesn't even mean say anything, just kind of goes. <laughs> if, if you listen to our podcast, I was doing a very kind of stern looking look, as, a, as we all imagine our parents. Right? Yeah. They want me to tell you something well, crazy. I'm very lucky. My parents have been really supportive of what I've done, you know, but they're not adventurous. You know, my dad's a marathon runner, but, um, I'll never let him, you know, I'll, I'll never kind of let him live down that my PB is faster than his. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but with, they're very used to what I've done. And, and honestly, I couldn't have done what I have done without their backing, even if they haven't always understood it. Um, and obviously everything I put them through, you know, and I, I really am grateful for that and, and, and everybody around me. Um, but yeah, if I, if mum doesn't threaten to break my legs or kind of slap me around the ear, then I'm not, I'm not setting something high enough. <laughs> thing is i'm always looking for something that's going to challenge me sufficiently but also to raise money nowadays i think you have to do something a bit outrageous um and it's a kind of a careful balance between fear of oh my god what on earth am i doing can i do this to actually having that confidence and excitement and and i think i've got to be in a very careful position to find it because without that fear i'm not going to gain or develop anything mm-hmm. um but with the free peaks i instantly regretted it because a lot of top ultra runners, when I put the announcement out, were saying, oh, my God, this is mega. Wow, this is incredible. I'm thinking these are, are pros. You know, I never ran beyond 30 miles before. I never entered an ultra. I ran marathons, but not, not, you know, not 17 in nine days. And when I put it out there, 
I mean, that accountability is really important because when it's out there, you know you're going to do it. Mm. But it's like, wow, there's no going back. Oh, bugger, what have I done? Um, <laughs> and what was the time scale? That, what was the schedule that you set for, for running it? And what was the distance, um, just so that we can get an idea? 450 miles. And originally, I set to do it in eight days, but I then changed that to nine because I realized that was more, you know, more realistic. I wanted to break the current time, which was um, which at the time was nine days and I think 10, 10 hours at the time. Um, nine, yeah, it could have been nine days, 10, uh, 11 hours. Um, it's been broken since, but uh, I wanted to try and creep under that. Um, and I think just the whole process, you know, it was that sense of commitment. OK, so right now I've got to do this and finding people that believed in it, that it was possible. Getting that support team was key. Um, but because it was so beyond people's imaginations, you know, people think of the free peaks and that's what helped raise so much money because people think, wow, I've done the free peaks, but I've, I couldn't imagine running it. Mm. Uh, people just laughed out loud when they heard it. Um, that excited me, but I was terrified. I've never, ever doubted myself as much, even to the point of starting. Um, and then obviously COVID came along, which came at the same time as an injury in my foot, which kind of gave me a bit of time to, to train, to plan. Luckily, I could run during lockdown, which kept me mentally sane. Um, and and then, yeah, a few other things happened along the way and, you know, lots of setbacks with health and things. And then when I finally was able to set a new date after lockdown and that constant goalposts were shifting and this season of watching records being broken every, you know, every other day, um, I started to feel this massive case kind of inferiority of like, who you know who on earth am I to be doing this you know I I didn't feel I was training enough I didn't know how to train for anything like this mm -hmm. um but I just I, I had to start you know I had no choice I'd put it out there um and then it came to August came to came to actually begin the challenge and I think I'd wasted so much energy worrying about kind of competition because there was another guy attempting the same record about a week after me I wanted to get there first um and I was so worried about competition that I I wasn't focusing on the important things. And I then sprained my ankle a week before I used to start. Um, my last fell run, it was my last kind of taper fell run and was admiring the sun, you know, the sunrise. And um, so luckily it was mild, but I had to postpone by two weeks. And it was like the taper tantrum from hell, you know, because I saw, you know, I saw, you know, sports physios and massages, you know, like Becca, who they assured me that it was, it was fine. It was good to go. But you're just paranoid. Two weeks of paranoia that it's not going to hold out. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And yet I have no choice but to go. Um, and yet, funnily enough, get to the start line, day one up uh, Ben Nevis and that pain disappeared. Then everything else broke. So it all balanced out. <laughs> I think what I learned from that is there is never going to be a perfect moment. You've just got to go. Um, and yeah, that's when all the real fun started. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So let's so to set up um, in terms of your support that you had for this, um, did you have kind of full support? Were there paces carrying your kit? Was a kind of a support van for you? Because this is such a huge challenge to do on your own. I can't imagine that you you can do it on your own. <laughs> Naively, I thought I could. I was <laughs> self-supported, but that was how little I knew about ultra running. I mean, in my training, I'd done... I'd done a couple of 30 milers. I did a 47 miler. I wanted to know I could do that distance at least once. Um, I've always taken that approach really with challenges. Um, and my friend Rich supported me for the first four days. So Rich has been a great friend through 
lots of challenges on the climb in the UK as well, um, taking pictures and he had everything in his car. So for the first four days, I had great support really. It was just Rich, literally just me and Rich. And I was staying in hotels and B&Bs and things. Um, and for, this, for that kind of first day in Scotland, I, I was so grateful for that because I was on the West Highland, you know, the, the West Highland Way, lots of long sections without road, uh, 50 miles, 10,000 foot of climbing. Um, but it wasn't until the tarmac came that I started to break. You know, day mm. one was fine because I'm used to that terrain. I didn't train on the tarmac, which I should have done. And um, and then after that, I then kind of realized that I was going to need support because without that, I was just not going to make it. So my friend Paul stepped in for a few days, then my mum stepped in, and then it was almost a case of trying to find support last minute. And then luckily, mum and friends and other people kind of actually rallied around. And I then had a support vehicle for nearly all the days. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have kind of a camper van, which I, I should have done. So I was still in hotels. I was still having to pick up food, find meals, finish, get stuff brought to me. Um, day four in the borders, I'd carried most of my kit in a rucksack for half the day. And um, yeah, I was stupid to think I could manage it. Just just having that that support there was amazing. Because then on the final day, um, coming into North Wales, you know, I finished in the middle of nowhere. But because it was a bank holiday, I couldn't find a hotel anywhere because my schedule had changed. So my dad took me to a friend's house in Betsy Coed who owns a pizzeria, which is very handy. Oh, that sounds uh, perfect. <laughs> finished at 11 o'clock, um, back on the road for three in the morning, you know, and that's where having a sort of a camper van, I could have just dived in, saved some time because, as you know, every minute of recovery yeah. makes a difference. So it was kind of a bit of a thrown together support team, but people really stepped in last minute and uh, I'm really grateful for the support I had, people coming out to join me in the rain, you know, people by the roadside waiting on hedges with food and snacks and money for the charity it was just absolutely humbling. And how did the body hold up then? Um, I'm guessing you went to some quite painful <laughs> places. It didn't. Um, <laughs> I mean, what's amazing is how resilient the body is and, you know, you, I don't think you can train for something like this because your body is not built to do that day-to-day -day -day stuff. Um, and sort of by day two, tendonitis and my feet started. Then it was knee pain for a day or two, which kind of just disappeared. You know, I had knee braces. I had uh, compression on. Um, I had to take, you know, anti-inflammatories in the end because that was the only way I could keep on going. Um, getting ice in the evenings in the hotel rooms, but there's just not enough recovery time because you're finishing late, you're up early, you're always going. Um, day four, I could literally barely, barely run more than 10 meters at a time just through the pain of my shins. And... At that point, I thought it was over. You know, how on earth can I do five miles, let alone 50? So, yeah, you were having to average like 50 miles a day, I'm guessing, roughly. At most, but that's when I started to fall short. Yeah. I mean, that day in particular, I did 30. I did 40 the next day. I did 41 after that, a couple of 47s and, you know, and what have you. Um, but then just the power of a sports massage and changing, changing my routine like I didn't know anything about actually raising the feet and how important that is just to mm -hmm. drain all that. Um, and then my mum brought me some new shoes. I put my orthotics in that. And uh, the next day I was running again. Um, and it just doesn't make sense. But then then I fell down the stairs of one of my youth hostels I was staying in. Oh, gosh. <laughs> not, not all the way, but just kind of stumbled enough to strain, uh, strain a perineal. Oh, and so the pain in my shins had gone. I was back running again. I ran up Scarfell Pike and I was fine. 
Well, I say ran, you know, as you know, it's all shrouding, it's plodding. Um, <laughs> and, and then I had this pain and that. And again, I saw a sports massage who did their magic and taped it and all sorts. And she kind of said, well, you know, yeah, you've got this happening. You've got tendonitis, you've got this, but there's no reason you shouldn't carry on. And as you know, there's that very fine balance between like serious damage and temporary getting mm-hmm. the job done. Yeah. Um, and from then on, I kind of ignored the pain. I didn't feel anything then. I just had four days and actually I felt pretty good. Um, you just adapt to it. And, uh, you know, my ankles were swollen the size of... Oh, on the pictures you'll see you know how swollen my legs are i mean um, we had some of you we've had put a few pictures up but you're kind of running nicely on these pictures so maybe like, yeah, that was going up in the lakes yeah going, um, road in the lakes going up Hannister, part of Hannister pass maybe is that? that so that that was actually on the photo sheet before the challenge but the photo with there's a photo there's a voter with, uh, holding a banner at the end, and you can just see how swollen my legs are. Okay, I did, yeah, some, I, I did, did have that. Um, I, I found it somewhere, but um, let me see if I can can find it again. Um, but, and I did, I did look at your legs and looked at and went, "Oh my goodness me, that's that's a pretty pretty good sized legs yeah. there you've got going on there." Um, yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky there was no lasting damage. You know, I didn't I didn't run for about three or four weeks by choice, but maybe ages on my side, you know, I recovered quite quickly and, and you know, tendonitis and compartment syndrome and all these things kind of, you know, they oh, kind yeah. of went. I can see the swollen. They look quite red as well, the ankles. Yeah. Not just the inflammation. Yeah. There's no, there's no definition between your ankles and your calves. But it, looks like, it looks like you've got. No, it does look. You look like, like some sort of almost plasticy morph character. Yeah, so for those who are listening well. on, on maybe the podcast, if you kind of, uh, even if you just go on Alex's website, if you Google, um, you can see some of these these images. Um, so but, that's a grimace rather than a smile when you're holding <laughs> that banner at the end. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, so. I, the last day it all fell apart and I was bang on, you know, I'd got back on schedule to actually, I still wow. had, you know, the record in sight. I was determined mm. to try and get there and I, I set off at, you know, three o'clock on, you know, you know, the morning on the final day, real adrenaline buzz, that kind of finish line straight. And it, it was amazing. It was really, it was amazing. Um, and then that morning when I got to, to uh, Capel Keurig, I ended up falling asleep in a bus stop cause I was just absolutely done. And, um, yeah, I had nothing left. I don't know where, whether it was, you know, a bonk of energy, whether it was just a sleep deprivation, um, but I lost it. And uh, I, I knew that if I if I didn't get the pace up, I was going to miss a record, but I just didn't care. I just, I, I had to get myself down safely. Um, there was, if, if I pushed it, I don't think I would have done because I was on the edge of just one foot after another. And I remember actually messaging uh, Damien Hall um, on WhatsApp and I was trying to keep on going up uh, penny pass and I was sort of saying help <laughs> you know what what can I do and trying to get some advice you know off people but I was just done and uh, I missed the record you know by just over an hour um, hey. but I think considering considering what I'd, I'd gone through to get there I wasn't bothered about the record because mm-hmm. it was then broken by about six hours two weeks later um, but again it's kind of for my first ultra challenge, I was pretty pleased with that, considering the injuries and everything else. And again, it's about the journey, the money you raise, and uh, and yeah, just just to get it done. I think I was I was really pleased with. 
Well done. Yeah, amazing performance that being being your first one. So what was what was going through your mind? Did you have any kind of mantra? I mean, you briefly talked about mindfulness there earlier, which you use kind of on the weekends and retreats you do look for helping people with mental health. What yeah, what was going through your mind when obviously you're in so much discomfort and pain and you're kind of maybe every football hurts? Uh, yeah, what was going on in there? Uh, a lot of things and I think you kind of you almost have to switch off and you, you just zone out and uh, interesting I was talking to uh, Joss Naylor recently and he just said you just ignore it and it's easier said than done but you kind of get into a trance you know you're just constantly moving and one that me and me, me and my friend actually Rich use is uh, relentless forward motion just that constant moving but I think I have this this kind of vision of this too will pass you know, how you feel right now doesn't mean how you're going to feel the next day. You know, a lot can change um, from literally hobbling down Scarfell Pike with this bad perineal in the rain and the dark, falling behind schedule again to the next day. I was running strong and did 48 miles. Um, so I think it's just knowing that a lot can change. And when I realized the record was in was in sight, that gave me the biggest boost because b- before that I was negative. I was whinging. I was thinking, it's uh, what's the point? I'm going to stop. Um, but I think... I think it's just knowing that a lot can change and knowing why I started, you know, for the charity. I was using this as a bit of a launch for the charity as well. I couldn't let people down and I didn't want to let myself down. Um, but I think having experience of being through worse, you know, drawing on that, you've just got to repeat the process and know you've got the strength in you somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's hard to really picture it, but I think it's just breaking it down into those small steps always, you know, the next could be the next shop, the next feed station. I mean, obviously I carried a lot of food on me, but if I knew the car was going to be in four miles, I'll get there, I'll have some more food, I'll go to the next one. And then before you know it, you've done halfway. Um, but in the worst times, putting music on just to zone myself out uh, is, is what I really, you know, is what I needed, I think. Um, but having the surprise support along the way, you know, when you least expect it, I think undoubtedly got to be there. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are probably tuning in that kind of great tips in that definitely breaking things down you know like get to his next shop or to the next corner um it can be so so helpful uh, but did you ever feel the, the kind of all the money you was raising though that that kind of pressure on, on the shoulders or is it just like i'm just going to get to just this final summit and this is as you say just trying to enjoy the experience being on that journey um I think by that point, I was just desperate to finish. I, I had nothing left to give and I couldn't even think, you know, I, I, and I really regret not sharing more of the journey, you know, not doing more social media and more posts and photos and videos. But in the moment, it's the you least feel like doing that. Yeah. Um, but my target was £10,000 and I pretty much very, very nearly hit that before I got to the top. So I, I kind of knew we were going to hit that and I knew it was making a difference. But at the same time, I kind of had a responsibility as a charity co-founder to not kind of jeopardize and hurt my and kind of damage my health I was already doing that we know ultra running isn't good for us um but at the same time I didn't really feel a pressure it was more a case of uh reputation of the charity if I didn't make it uh, rather than how much I raised um but I also had the responsibility of you know setting a good example and I had people messaging me saying like you're causing you put yourself through so much pain now I think you should stop um I even had a sponsor emailing me and that really knocked my confidence um but that also spurred me on at the same time. So I think as long as you're not focused on just the fundraising, you know, I've always been very open that it is a personal challenge as well as a charity challenge. You've got to have something personally driving you on. Um, 
otherwise when things get, get tough you're going to call quits yeah yeah uh, brilliant and so yeah we've been well an hour's already just yeah. flown, <laughs> flown by and, and and as ever we could always continue chatting for, forever for longer and longer um so you talked about kind of yeah that being a personal challenge so we're now a year on from there um have you got any other we've got that we're going to fire one last question to finish off shortly, which has come on from one of, from Sarah, who's joining us live on, on YouTube. But what what's next? So you've done the national three peaks. So you missed the record. Are you fancy going back to claim the record there, you know, and get that? Or have you got kind of eyes <laughs> or focus on no, something else? It didn't look like you were thrilled to go back to those roads. Is, is that the look his mum gets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gives a minute. I think, yeah, mum's kind of out of that kind of equation now. But um, I think I think having done the three peaks, I honestly blew my mind as to actually how I finished it. I, I never, ever believed I could. Um, so now that has just pushed the bar as to what could I do, you know, and, and crikey, it feels like I'm going to have to do a lot to, to beat that um, in terms of, you know, what can I do that's going to challenge me in the same way? I don't know whether I would want to do the same challenge again, purely for the case of I kind of know I can do it. Mm-hmm. I want to have that unknown. But I would be interested in trying it again and going a lot faster. There is so much I learned from that. I'm already fitter now than I was back then. Um, And just a few changes to my routine and support could could do that. I'm also looking at a few other ideas. You know, my challenges are all going to be based on running. I know that for sure. I love ultra running and I found a a natural strength there, I think. Um, But I've been kind of a bit held back this year by an injury Um, since January hurt my knee and I'm embarrassed to say it's from falling over a curb in town of all things. Um, and we're nearly in June and I'm still not back to where I was because I kept training through it and it became chronic and, and all that. Um, so that's slowed me down, but I'm, I'm trying not to get frustrated about that because I look at what, you know, the ankle with the three peaks and the foot issue with the three peaks and it all works out in the end. Um, so I've got a few ideas uh, for later in the summer. I mean, time's going very, very fast. So I need to kind of make a decision now and commit. I've got a couple of ideas for FKTs, which uh, I may run past you guys and get your advice as well. Um, but my, my first project I can talk about is the Bob Graham round. I've been saying I'm going to do it for ages. Living in the lakes now, I have no excuse. So as soon as my knee's back to normal, uh, I want to be trying to make attempts at doing that self-supported. Um, I kind of like the self-supported approach, just where it's just me versus the mountains. Mm. And uh, and yeah, I'm working towards that. And I've entered my first race in about a year and a half um, next week on the Allswater 20. Okay. So interesting to see where I'm up to. Um, I can't compare myself to where I used to be, but, uh, you know, be interesting to see how that spurs me on. So basically lots of long running to come. So keep tuned. Can I just ask before we go to Sarah's last question, like you've had quite a lot of setbacks with injuries and that's something that I know that a lot of our listeners will probably have. Do you have any kind of tips, maybe like the top three tips for coping with injuries? Like what, (laughs) what advice do you have? It's absolutely horrible. And I, it's my mental health plummets when I lose that ability to run. Um, Luckily I've been able to do a lot on the bike, which has really helped, but when I'm not making progress, it's just, I hate it. I think, my top tips are to have a great physio that you trust. Um, I've had a lot of bad physios or people that I've not trusted and that getting, getting advice as soon as possible, even if you think it's just a niggle has massively reduced the recovery time. Um, you know, if I do advice that... from Google here or running yeah. groups, 
Dr. Google is oh, can make things a hell of a lot worse. If you convince yourself you're not going to run for years. Um, getting a good physio you trust yep. as soon as possible. That way you can get the best approach. I, I always feel reassured by that. And generally they'll scan it and there's actually nothing wrong. Um, number two, I think, is to, I think, well, I mean, obviously it's not much help while, whilst you're injured, but I think when I, I get injured when I'm running on tarmac, um, staying off road has massively reduced that for me. I think whilst injured as well, I think to maybe remove yourself from the environment. So if you're connected to lots of runners or in clubs, sometimes you have to mute all that because if you see other people doing things while well, you can't, it just adds to the frustration. It can also, um, I think it can have a negative impact on your recovery because you may come back faster or, or be tempted to push a bit too soon. Um, so I think patience is always that thing. And I've always found that day on, day off, coming back to it in that kind of very gradual approach has always worked for me. So, um, and just trust that a lot can change, you know, avoid Dr. Google. Um, maybe if you need to separate yourself, but I think try and replace that with cross training if you can, you know, trust that uh, it's an opportunity to do new things. You know, when I injured my ankle, I did, I did a lot of wild swimming and it gave me time mm-hmm. all that time. I would have, I would have been on runs. I did that instead. Um, so just, just just trust that it will have a positive at some point in the in the process. I think. Brilliant. Yeah, having that kind of growth mindset over that moment of adversity, and that kind of yes, yeah, so Sarah Lister. Um, Hi, Sarah. Is, is joined, <laughs> oh, joined Sarah. us Sarah. <laughs> and uh, kind of just up the road of Edel, and we actually got to meet properly last week after John's Pan Am way, and and this kind of ties in, yeah, definitely with a kind of wild swimming point there about. Um, so it's a bit of a two kind of part question, but we'll see if we can answer it maybe in, in one part and kind of we'll, we'll end our interview on, on this on this question as well. But, um, so Sarah says, first of all, thank you for an amazing interview. Oh, thank you very much. Um, sure. And uh, what do you think it is about being outside that helps people and how do you think it changes perspective on life? So what do you think is about being outside that, that help, if you can... Do that in a, a short answer. <laughs> yeah, awesome. great question. It's a question really good question, it's a Sarah, question, who I know does lots of her coaching outside, so yeah. knows the benefits, but trying to articulate it, it can be quite hard, isn't it? What would you say? It is, and yeah, it's definitely a shared interest, and uh, I think everyone's going to articulate it differently, but I think for me, it's just about taking us to where we're supposed to be. We are biologically meant to be in these places, and you can see the science around the benefits of you know, reducing stress and improving mood and focus just by spending a few minutes outside. So I think we're going in favour of where we are intended to be. You know, we're not designed to be stuck indoors on Zoom all day. And, and you know, we're not we're not built for that. And therefore, going against nature is never going to be sustainable. Um, for me, it's about changing the environment is what changes my perspective on a problem. And it's very difficult to, 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 feel, to, to fix a problem when you're kind of in it. I think when you're in in nature, I think it, it forces you to be more mindful. You know, they say that trail running is is the ultimate mindfulness, which is probably why I'm always falling over. Um, <laughs> but I think when you're surrounded by by the by you know by the bird song, by the forest, and even if you you know, I know not everybody lives in the peaks or the lakes, but even in your local park, even on the streets, I think you're suddenly changing your perspective just by looking around you. You're changing the pace. You're giving yourself time to think, and uh, I think it's hard not to feel a bit better a bit more hopeful when you just spend a bit of time away from technology, you know, distractions and that kind of internal environment. And I think 
it's more a case of managing that kind of bucket. You know, we're not saying it's a miracle cure. I can be on runs and I can be stressed. And I can be feeling really, really low. But without that, I think that bucket's going to be a little bit higher. So it's a case of just just having that temporary you know, release. And I think nature is just one way of finding some hope. You know, I remember in lockdown last year, some of the sunsets were unbelievable. And just being able to sit and, and or sit or stand or run and see the power of nature around me it kind of made me realize that everything was going to be okay. Um, and it sounds a bit kind of spiritual, but uh, I've always found a very spiritual element to it. And I think um, we can all find that in our own ways. So I think when you're surrounded by ma- by nature, it's hard not to feel very small in the grand scheme of things and just realize that our problems are very temporary. Nature's been doing these things for m- millions of years. So I'm sure we can manage a few things less. Fantastic. Brilliant. And what yeah, a lovely point to end on as well. Yeah, thank you so much for, yeah, thanks for coming for your time, and joining, Alex. joining us this evening. It's been really insightful. Great to hear about your your, your journey, especially for somebody so young still. Um, <laughs> she can't say there's like 20 years difference between us. But anyway, um, yeah, and, and so, yeah, so true about being in the outside and outdoors and the importance and the difference it can make for us. And we're big advocates of that ourselves um so if people want to get hold of you on social media um we've got your website we'll put the links down below and if they want to find out about those those weekends and yeah get out into the outdoors and um start kind of yeah experiencing it for themselves and and hopefully we encourage maybe to uh, get out in the outdoors and make a benefit for their for their mental health good luck for the uh for the bob graham Uh, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled um when that happens on social media as as well and uh yeah good luck for us and thank you for kind of joining us yeah thank this you so evening. much alex. thank you so much alex cheers cheers guys it's great to be here and as always just to chat about running i could do all you know all evening it's great, <laughs> to, almost share about it's great to share a like-minded passion and thank you everybody who else has joined us as well and, and yeah i'm i'm on all the main channels so if anybody has any more questions or wants to reach out for advice um please do feel free to you know you know see you know you know you know you know you know email me on there or um on my site you know alexsanithorpe.com my books are available on there as well if people want a signed copy um and it's cheaper than amazon so just hey. that oh, well there we go definite plug yeah. there yeah get, get on to alex's website and order the book that way and get it signed fantastic thank you alex have a good rest of a week guys. and we'll yeah, see you around you. take care goodbye Cheers. happy running guys happy running you too I'm just going to say happy running to Amy Denu as well, who always listens to us on a Saturday run. <laughs> ah, hi, Amy. And uh, so just a quick update, those who have been following Damo, he's near St. Bees at Robin Hood's Bay, not St. Bees, that's where he starts, isn't it? <laughs> From Robin Hood's Bay. Well, what a fantastic interview there uh, with, with Alex. So inspiring to have done so much at such a young age, kind of. Yeah, it feels like I should be getting out there doing more uh, myself. Thank you for those who have joined us live here on YouTube. Um, if you've enjoyed it, give us a thumbs up and click subscribe. If you've taken us out on a run or you listen to us on podcast, again, just leave a review. It kind of helps us. And uh, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this evening. Who have we? Oh, Claire's back next week. <laughs> and um, I think we might be doing some more road running with Dan Lawson and LeJock. Okay, well, we better make sure that Dan knows that in two weeks. But we're back in two weeks' time. We might be back at half six. We might be back at half seven. Possibly we're done. Uh, Again, if you click on subscribe, you'll find out when we are back on in two weeks' time. 
But uh, look after yourselves, stay safe, Take and care. Bye-bye. You know, get out in the outdoors, get trying some traveling, <laughs> and enjoy being that wonderful healing of nature. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.